time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey everybody and welcome. It's Christy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here and this is episode number 22 of our podcast where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Coffee, coffee. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Mm, That is house blend. House blend. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) If you're a fan of delicious coffee and the best scones around and you're local, head on over to Coffee Coffee. You will not be disappointed. We are coming off of our 5,000 download garden party. Yes, we are. Which was a huge success. That was a lot of fun. It was a small gathering because we were going to, you know, we only did like 10 of us because social distancing. We were appropriately social distanced. Yeah, Outside the whole time. Mm-hmm. It was great. And we got a chance to go on Instagram Live for a few minutes. So and say hi to some of the folks that were on Instagram, mm-hmm. which was nice. Really loved that. And everything came together. It did. It was fantastic. And I just want to mention that not only did we hit 5,000 downloads, we've actually hit 6,000 oh, downloads yeah, since the party. So again, thank you so much to all of our amazing listeners. Yeah, I mean, without people listening, we wouldn't have this podcast. So thank you everyone out there for listening to us. The other thing I wanted to say is if you listen and you love our podcast and you listen on Apple Podcast, if you can leave us a review, that would help us out immensely. It really, really helps us to grow the podcast. Reviews are important. They're really important to Apple, especially. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So if you are enjoying this podcast, please jump over there and give us a sentence and let us know how you feel. Rate us and also leave a written review. That would be wonderful. Thank you. Well, I just want to say thank you again to everyone. Mm -hmm. Everyone that's reaching out to us, that messages us with questions. That's what we're here for. Yes, absolutely. We want to help you. And that's why we've started this is to help people along the way. And with our experience going through for years, we thought that we could help everybody. And really, when we started the podcast, we thought we would have some like-minded folks who wanted to hear what we had to say, have fun with it, right? learn some things. We learned some things from them. But we honestly were not prepared for the outpouring of love and support that we have received over the past five months. It's been amazing. And to be honest with you, I can't remember before Coffee with the Chicken Isn't that funny? I know. It's only been... Six months. Six months altogether. Five months with the podcast live. Yeah. But it does feel like years in the best way possible. Yeah. And, you know, we love talking chickens. So we knew that other people would love talking and listening about the same kind of stuff that Mm -hmm. we do. So keep messaging us, keep sending us pics. We love it. Keep it up. But before we move on, let me take a minute to tell you about Iowa Blue Farm. It's a woman-owned, family-run, all-natural chicken treat company in the Midwest. And they make 100% all-American oven-dried black soldier fly grubs for all types of poultry. Chickens. Turkeys. Ducks. Peacocks, which I always say. (laughs) Quail. Doves. Pheasants. Oh, you probably got me on this one. Okay. All right. There we go. Okay. So all these types of poultry, (laughs) Holly has her hands in the air right now. All these types of poultry, this is a snack that's high in calcium and protein with every bite. 
it's a snack that you can feel good about. And with the egg season here, you want that extra calcium for sure. They come running for that blue bag. They do. They love it. So they are baked with love. Shipped with care. And shipping is always, always free. free. So now it's time for the breed spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. This week we are doing the dorking. The dorking. <laughs> yes, we are doing the dorking. I had to get that out there because it's mean, pretty awesome. That name for a chicken is pretty awesome. It is. The dorking is another very old breed of English chicken, kind oh, of yes. like the Sussex. They're named for the town of Dorking in the county of Surrey in southeast England. And like the Sussex, common lore says that they were brought to England by the Romans. The Romans did a lot of bringing of these chickens over. Apparently. Now, there are records of Roman writers mentioning similar body-shaped five-toed chickens. Right. But there's nothing that proves absolutely that the birds in question were Dorkings. They could have been an earlier version of the breed. So here's my question. Where did the Romans get all these chickens? (laughs) <laughs> this is a good question because everything that we're when we look into it everything is like the romans brought these chickens here right the romans took them there yeah Where the, the romans, romans were like the chicken highway <laughs> they were the ancient world that's what i want to know i've even seen some livestock historians say that they're not sure that the romans brought the chickens into england it could have been the romans taking the chickens Back to Italy. I saw that also. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing really clear. One thing is clear is they have five toes. They do. Polydactyl, one of your favorites. And there was some writings from the Romans that said that these chickens that had five toes were like the best breeding stock. Yeah. So it was kind of cool. It's kind of like the Faverals. Right. That fifth toe is really cool looking. Yeah, we'll get to that, the Faverall dorking connection in just a little bit. But I do want to say, in reply to the fifth toe being this great Italian breed, that silkies have five toes, too. Yes. And silkies did not originate in Italy. No. It's really hard to find good written records that are reliable, that give you any detail. It's just a genetic trait. Right. Here's the thing, like, working in small animal medicine, there are cats who are polydactyl also. Like the Hemingway cats. They They have an extra Mm dewclaw. So instead of one dewclaw, they have two. And they're really cool. Mm -hmm. So... It is a really cool thing. It's just a genetic factor in right. their breeding. But we don't know that it's attached to any particular geography. Here's what we do know. Dorkings were a very popular breed in early America. They were spread across much of the existing country in about 1840. Okay. According to the Heritage Poultry Conservancy. Which kind of makes sense because, okay, so English came here and they probably brought the Dorking chicken with them. Most likely. As far as I've been able to find, and I've been doing a lot of research on this lately, there are no hard and fast records on the types of chickens that were brought to early America. Right. And once they were here, there's even less record of them because by and large they were let run free. Yeah, they just came and said, here you go. Pretty much. And so records of early American livestock are difficult to find. And because I'm working on the Hog Island Sheep book, this is sort of a quagmire that I've been sinking in, just trying to figure out some of these early breeds. Oh, yeah, definitely. And just hitting a brick wall. But we do know the Dorking is here. They're currently on the Livestock Conservancy's watch list. Okay. Uh, the Dorking is a dual-purpose chicken. Right. The Dorking has been recognized by the American Poultry Association since the original printing of the Standards of Perfection in 1874. Right. Recognized colors are silver-gray. Okay. One that's just referred to as colored, which I had to research, and it's essentially a ground with black lacing. It's really pretty. Okay. 
cuckoo, red, and white. Okay. All of these have a single comb, except the white and the cuckoo, they have a rose comb. I've seen those. Those were some of the ones that I was researching. Mm-hmm. The white was pretty, I mean, and they're really pretty birds. They are pretty birds. I like them, too. Yeah. Red earlobes, large and broad body. Another one of your favorite things, short white legs. Nothing short better. Legged like chicken. I'm almost speechless with these nails, like the little short legs. <laughs> and the fifth toe. It's like the dachshund of the poultry world. Yes. The little tiny short legs. Except for the white and cuckoo, the roosters have a black breast and black front. Okay. And they were a foundation breed for the Favreals, and it is really easy to see them in that breed. Oh, yeah. With the short legs, the, the black, all of the fifth toe, all of that. There's also a bantam variety. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think it's pretty hard to find, but it does exist. Hens are decent winter layers. I was reading on the numbers. It's like 140 or so a year. 150 a year. It's respectable. It's two to three eggs a week. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be like a leghorn or something like that. She's not setting the world on fire, but she lays you a decent amount of eggs. Yeah. Large, creamy, white-colored egg. They do grow broody, and they're known as being very good mothers. Nice. Yeah. Slow-growing and pullets are late layers, as you would expect. They were popular show birds in England in the mid-1800s. Okay. And they're supposed to have super good personalities, really genial That's and That's what friendly. I saw, too. They're really friendly birds. Yeah. I mean, I like the looks of them. If someone local had them, I'd probably be like... Put them on your list. Gotta add some dorkings to the flock. <laughs> you are gonna have, like, 500 chickens on your four acres. Yes. Because you love all the chickens. Yes, I do. You're like... When we do the research, you're like, okay, I need this chicken. I need this chicken. <laughs> I need this chicken. I need that chicken, too. You know what chicken I'm not going to get? The melee. Yes. <laughs> but I was going for the Morans. <gasps> yeah. They're pretty, but... You're like, I got the best goddaughter ever, so I don't need oh, the so, Yeah, yeah. I, don't... <laughs> I can just live like She was good for yours. you. She was good for you. Oh, no, she's fantastic. I just, you know, after having several bully Swedish flowers, I just don't want to bully Morans. She was, she was not in with anybody else at the time. No, she had free run of what what is now the Rescue Roosters yard and coop. Drusilla had that first. Yeah. <laughs> and when I came to pick her up, Sophia and I came, she didn't even care. She was just out there digging in the corner like, oh, She yeah. had the best time. She started their dust baths for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, back to the dorking. It was a really popular chicken. There are a lot of good things about it. There were several dorking clubs that existed in the late 19th, early 20th century. Okay. They were pretty much all gone by the end of the Second World War. Right. The club started up again in what decade? 70s. The 1970s. Like most heritage breeds, the dorking just would not have worked in an industrial setting. No. I mean... But they exactly. don't lay enough eggs. Exactly. But as a homestead chicken, not a bad choice. Very no. friendly. They're probably good with kids. Yeah. They're neat-looking chickens. And it sounds like they'd be another alternative if you want broody hens for breeding. Oh, yeah. And most broody hens, which we were discussing earlier, are larger. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they do tend to be those the setter breeds for whatever reason. Right. Again, with the exception of the silky. So the Dorking is a bit of a harder-to-find breed. You can visit the Livestock Conservancy's Breeder Directory. Right. Sandhill Preservation Center has had breeding stock at various times. And I'm sure you could get eggs to hatch. Hatching eggs, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you just want pet quality, my pet chicken actually has them. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And there is a Dorking Breeders Club of North America. Lots of good information there. You can probably find breeders there as well. That are somewhat close to you. Yeah, yeah. All in all, a really cool English class of chicken. Definitely. I look them up. Look on Google just to see what they look like. They're really cool. Yeah, they're really, I think they're really cute chickens. Oh, and yeah. And some of the roosters are gorgeous. 
Okay, so now we're going to move into our main topic. Mm -hmm. And today, we're going to talk about a few things. The first thing that we do want to talk about is chicks from the age of three weeks to about 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. And we're right in that category now. Yeah, we've been getting some questions from listeners about when we start taking chicks outside and at what age we start to integrate them. Now, the integration we're going to be talking about on another episode. Yeah, that's a big subject. It is a big topic, and there's a lot that can go into oh, that. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. So we're just going to talk a little bit about when we start taking our chicks outside. Right, because, you know, everyone right now is getting chicks mm-hmm. either now. We got ours really early this year. We did. In the beginning of March. Ours are six weeks old now. And when you should start even taking them out, they need to get into the grass, but they need to be at a point where they're feathered. Right. So they can kind of have a little bit of protection against the elements. Yeah, it's hard to regulate their body temperature when they're just covered with downy fluff. Exactly. So I don't take mine out before three weeks. I usually take them at about three to four weeks, depending on the temperature. Right. So if it's 75, you're pretty good for 10 minutes or mm-hmm. so. Right. At three weeks. Right. So now at six weeks, I take them out for a prolonged time mm-hmm. with me. And they have this little uh, butterfly bush they love to run under and dig in the mulch. <laughs> yeah. And then I found Peggy the other day. In the tree. In, in, in the, the bush. Right, right. Yeah. But the thing that you have to watch for, that you have to be there with them 100% of the mm-hmm. time, is aerial predators. Exactly. Generally, when we're taking chicks outside, and it's for a lot of reasons, the sunlight, they really need the sunlight. They need that vitamin D from the sun. They really do. And then it gives them a chance to start digging in the dirt, maybe finding some bugs and eating grass a little bit. Yeah, I I noticed Katie T-Biscuit had a lot of worms the other day. Delicious. (laughs) (laughs) She's a major forager. I mean, she was finding a lot. I will say that Mary Berry also... Is there, a major forager. There are speckled Sussex. Right. The lake bars are decent foragers, too. They're they're pretty good. Really good. And let me tell you about the champion foragers, the Egyptian Fayumis. <laughs> Holy moly. And at this point, we also start giving them some chick grip oh, when they're yeah. starting to eat grass and that sort of thing. Right. Once the grass starts going into the crop, a little bit of chick grit mm-hmm. is great because you need something to break down that fibrous stuff. That's right. And it there. gets them in the habit of eating grit. Yeah. Is, if they don't know to eat it. Mm-hmm. And then later on, they're going to be like, what the heck are you getting Yeah, me? so we definitely start putting that in their food at this point. And generally, we will take them out in a pop-up with the bottom taken off so they have access to the grass and the top, the mesh okay. top. But we stay there with them the whole time. Right. Things are a little different this year. We're actually starting to put them in a pen that adjoins the big coop where they're going. Right. It has a bit of a top. And again, we stay out there with them. Right. We always put our chicks and things with tops because of the hawk. Oh, yeah. The I very mean, hawk heavy I'm, pressure. I'm more of a free ranger, like, when they're out here. Uh-huh. When I have them out there for any length of time, I have them in the pop-up. Yeah. And it's completely zipped up. Right. Like, they're protected. As they get a little bigger, I'll put them on the deck in the sun to mm-hmm. get some sunlight. Yeah. For a little more prolonged. That's about eight weeks. Yeah. And then usually from, I try to keep them until 12 weeks because they're always going into integrated flocks. Right. They need size. They can't be small going in with full-size hens. I totally agree with you. The only time I put my chicks out before that were the Jersey Giants and they were getting a coop of their own. Right. And actually, even then... 
Ricardo Montalban was having some problems from vitamin deficiency. Right. Probably because he grew so fast and he was massive. Right. But we wanted him out in the sun. So we got him in that coop and we made a special cradle to hold a heat lamp. Right. So it was still chilly when they went out. And so they did have the heat lamp on for a couple more weeks. Yeah. And we did it in a very safe way. Yeah. But anyway, the digging in the dirt, all of those, you know, natural chick behaviors. Right. It exposes them to microorganisms. It helps boost their immune system. Oh, yeah. And if they were raised by a broody hen, they would have been doing this stuff all along with her. They would have been outside earlier. Right. But they would have been also protected by her a lot. She would have been sitting on them a lot. Right. To, you know, keep them warm. Yeah. So we can't really do that. Exactly. (laughs) Which is why temperature is such a big factor. Yeah, the temperature is a huge factor. Here in the Mid-Atlantic, okay, so we were outside yesterday Mm -hmm. with short sleeve t-shirts. Yeah. It was 75 degrees. And today... It is blustery. Whistling wind and it is cold. And we just looked at the temp and it was 38. Yeah, yeah. So today they didn't go out at all. And they're not going to. No. I have them in a brooder to sleep Mm -hmm. and then in a pop-up during the day with an air heater blowing air into the pop-up. Yeah, yeah. And they're brinzy. Right. You know, I think now they can take prolonged at probably 65 and higher. Probably. Mm-hmm. With the amount of feathers. Right. Mine are getting so big. I mean, it's like... They really are big. Right now, our biggest is one of the Crested Cream Leg Bars. Yeah. Beatrix, she's by far the biggest. But again, I think you and I tend to be conservative about a lot of things when it comes to the chicks, just oh, for their yeah. own protection. Yeah. And even though mine are mostly fully feathered, they're not 100%. They need to keep getting in those layers of feather right. to build in the warmth. Yes. So even if you see your chick is fully feathered up top, mm-hmm. they're still growing under. Yeah, they don't have all their down fluff in. So they might look big enough to go out there. Right. But they really need protection. Being chilled Mm -hmm. is a big problem for chicks. It really is. So just having them out there for short periods of time right now, being with them, Mm -hmm. they need the exercise. It is. We let ours, you know, they do their little bit of foraging. We're right there with them. We hold them sometimes. Right. It's it's another bonding opportunity. Right. And honestly, I know that I'm really conservative with this, but if I'm going to integrate, I usually wait until about 12 weeks. I don't put them out before 12 weeks for integration because they need size. Yeah. Any chicken... That sees a much smaller chick. Who's a newbie that they don't yeah. know. It, you might as well put a target on them. Yeah, exactly. So it's not really fair to them to do earlier. Right. Like, you can do it earlier if you have a new run for them and a coop. I'm sure there are people who have done it successfully. This is just what we do. Yeah, exactly. We tend to be very conservative about this. Yeah. And take a long time. We let the introduction go on as long as it needs to. We're going to talk about that, though. Exactly. In a later episode, actually coming up soon. Yeah, very soon. And our, our purpose behind all of this is just keeping everyone safe. Yeah, that's number one. But, mm-hmm. you know, everyone, and we want to hear if you have a different strategy that works. Absolutely. Please reach out to us. We would love to hear different ideas. Mm-hmm. But right now, we are just in the snuggle phase of uh, <laughs> running in the grass and being with them outside. Yeah, it really is important for them to get the outside time. I've heard of people who put grass and things in the brooder right. to give them some exposure to microorganisms, and that might work really well. Right. I've never tried it. I kind of have my chick routine, and I like it. Yeah, exactly. But there are lots of different ways to do things. Yeah, everybody has a different way, and everyone can learn different things just to have an open mind. Yeah, 
Definitely. Exactly. Okay, so we want to move on to talking about our garden party. It was so much fun. Oh, yeah, it really was. We had, I don't know, was it about 10 or 11 of us here? Probably about 10 people. Mm -hmm. And we all dressed up in vintage clothing. It was so much fun. We actually got the opportunity to go on Instagram Live and say hi to everybody from the garden party. Uh And... It was just to celebrate all the hard work over the last six months. Right. And it was a good opportunity to have just an absolutely over-the-top chicken-themed party. The whole thing was chicken-themed. And we (laughs) talk about vintage chicken stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. We're not joking when we say we have a lot of it. Oh, yeah. We pulled out a lot of our favorites. I mean, but we don't... We go out and find it, like I always say, in the wild. Exactly. That means thrift stores, yard sales, Mm -hmm. those types of things. We're not paying, like, you know, a lot of money for them. We're just finding them out there. Right. So we like to show that stuff off, you know? Like, once we search so hard for it... Yeah. I only have a couple of things that I paid, like, a full collector's price for because I really love them yeah but everything else yeah i think those types of things that you really love it's worth it yeah but other than that just finding it the thrill of the hunt the thrill of the hunt (laughs) so we're gonna have some shots of of all of our vintage serving wear yeah and we decided to keep it no paper goods at all right we were keeping our footprint small we uh thrifted some beautiful teacups Mm -hmm. and mismatched saucers and bowls right and everyone loved them they loved all the decor it was just fantastic and again when you get to have a party that's completely chicken on the lawn on the lawn yeah (laughs) we even had chickens out with us we had the chickens we brought some of my chickens out Mm -hmm. that were like wow we could celebrate too and we even brought my really fun mid-century blue leather chairs out Yes. Which I love. Yes. It was yep. perfect. And it was a perfect day for a garden party. Our menu was simple but delicious. Yes. I'd say next time, though, we're going to have to start cooking sooner. Definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. Because we made everything. Mm-hmm. And then we had to get ourselves ready. Yeah. And then we decorated. it. And yes. then we were just like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, it took a while. We probably got off to a little bit of a later start than we should have. But that's okay. We had the important things. We had most of the food. We, we had, had it all. We, we had, had a- the table set and we had punch. Oh, yes. We had a lot. Now, the punch, we're going to have up some some photos of the punch. It was a strawberry sparkling rosé punch. It was delicious. It was really good. And we actually got that recipe from the May issue of Country Living Magazine. Yes. It's very simple to make and it's delicious. It was delicious. We served punch and then we had strawberry lemonade for the littles that were there. Mm-hmm. And we had coffee and it was delicious. Some of the stuff that we served, we just want to kind of recap what we did with it because it's so easy for everyone to do this. Yeah. I mean, if you have a little bit of spot on your lawn, mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be big. No. Get a few little fun decorations to put up mm-hmm. to get the vibe going. And you don't need a lot of people. No. When we were appropriately socially distanced, we were outside. We had, you know, our chicken figurines all around. Oh, yeah. In various places. Yeah. We brought out my little cafe table that sits in my foyer, which actually set up as a cafe table Yes, inside my house. Right. And we had that. And then, honestly, what can bring it all together? I'm going to say this. Throw pillows. It makes it fun. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the throw pillow. Yeah, that was pretty. They, they did look nice. They were a lot of fun. So what else was on the menu? We did, besides the punch and our drinks, we did a deviled egg charcuterie board. Yeah. Which in another episode, we'll probably detail it. That was really fantastic. Uh, we did the deviled eggs in three flavors. Yes. We did like classic with paprika. Yep. 
And then we did the Old Bay. Yep. And then we did Tuna and Dill. Yep. And then we just did it with other classic charcuterie board things. Mm-hmm. So we had all different kinds of olives, chickpeas, peppers, grape tomatoes, or vine little tomatoes, and an assortment of nuts. So you put all that together on, I have this big slab Yeah, platter. like a natural slab of wood. It's very pretty. It's very pretty. And once again, we'll put all the pictures up. It just makes it so inviting that you want to eat it. We also did cucumber sandwiches. Yes. And we did both gluten and dairy free and regular. Of course. And we did a huge seasonal fruit salad, mm-hmm. which came out beautiful. It was it delicious. Was so pretty. We put that in this gigantic hen terrine that I have. It was huge. She has a top. Yeah. So, you know, it kept it clean. Kept the bugs off the fruit. Yeah, it was great. Which was great. And then we did a cob salad, which we'll talk about again later in another Yeah, episode. yeah. And our desserts were cupcakes, chocolate cupcakes with Gluten hibiscus. Gluten dairy-free, of yes, course. with hibiscus frosting and pavlovas. They were good. So pavlovas, if you've never made a pavlova before, it's a meringue shell. Yeah. And often it has whipped cream and fruit in it. We opted for lemon curd. Yep, with raspberries. With raspberries. Mm-hmm. And we're going to give you my whole egg lemon curd recipe in just a few minutes here. Yeah. So it was a fantastic day. Busy. I was wiped out by the end. Yeah. I think because I was so excited also. Probably. But it was great. It was so much fun. Yeah. I would say don't be afraid to host a completely over-the-top chicken lady garden party should you want to do so. I think it's a great idea because you like chickens. You have chickens. I'm sure you have chicken stuff. Just get a few of your friends together. Sit on the lawn. Drink some punch. And use all those fun things that you get, like my vintage punch bowl, mm-hmm. my mid-century roly-poly punch bowl. Right, which is perfect. Loved it. Yeah. I finally got to use it. When you find the thrill of the hunt of all these vintage things, use them. Yeah. And you feel good doing it. Well, and we talked about vintage deviled egg dishes in our previous episode. Yes. And we pulled out some of them. Oh, yeah. So that was great. And of course, make all those egg-based dishes, including the deviled eggs. Oh, yeah. And the cob salad. Mm-hmm. We even had the eggs on the salad. What was your favorite thing about the garden party? I think all of our chicken stuff everywhere. You know, like our statuettes and all of that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. And the deviled eggs, maybe. Yeah. I think my favorite thing, I had two favorite things, were how it came about and how it was decorated mm-hmm. and it looked. And my second was our everybody dressing up. Yeah, that's fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And our uh, fascinators. Yes. I thank love you. Those. Yes. <laughs> I think we should just take a minute to extend an enormous thank you to the third member of this team. Oh, yeah, definitely. So you see, Chrissy and I were the chicken ladies, <laughs> but we could not make this work without Pete. Oh, definitely. The not. invisible third member of this team. Yes. He is tirelessly supportive. We're thankful for his excellent editorial skills. He believes in and accepts our vision completely. And he loves the tiny raptors. Yes, he really does. He really does. He's a chicken lover. Yes, he does all of our editing for us. And he photographed the garden party. Yes, he did. Because he is a photographer. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I did manage to get a few shots. That's it. Yeah. But we were were busy. We were pretty busy. So, yes. Pete, we want to say thank you so much for all of your hard work. You definitely are the third person of our team. Yes. And without you, we couldn't do it. Believe no. me, because we do a lot of laughing while we record. 
So we need somebody <laughs> to take out a little bit of it so that you can hear us talking. He fixes all kinds of things that we don't even anticipate. <laughs> and just, again, he's, he's incredibly supportive and tireless. And we love you, Pete. Thank you. Yes, you definitely. are the best. Thanks so much. We couldn't do it without him. No. So we wanted to talk just for a minute before we move into cracking the eggs about what does the future hold for us? And what I think we want to keep going on what we're doing. We love this podcast. Yes, we do. We love recording. We love talking and getting to know everybody. The research that goes into it. We, we love everything. Yeah. We want to keep going. It is a labor of love. Yeah. So that is really what the future holds for us. Plus, there's some exciting stuff coming up. Some exciting interviews that we have. Yes. And maybe some writings. Yeah. I, I've said a few times that I'm working on a book on Hog Island Sheep. Right. And it could be that we are simultaneously working on some other writing projects. Definitely. And we just want to keep going. What we want to do is share the love for the chicken lady life. Yes. A lot of people are like the crazy chicken lady, but the crazy chicken lady has a pretty cool life. Absolutely. That crazy someone else's label. Yeah. It's the chicken lady lifestyle. It's the chicken lady life, right, right. The lifestyle, that's what we're framing. Don't be afraid to do it. Don't be afraid to be a chicken lady. No. Live it. Live it and have fun with it. And, you know, I can tell you how many neighbors that day. They all wanted to come to the party. And how many neighbors went by super they, slow. Right? They were all like, oh, what's happening? And, you know, my husband was working in the back and people were stopping and asking him what's going on. <laughs> they said it looks so cool. Don't, you know, not do something because you think it's crazy. Embrace it. Yes. Embrace life and... And hug your chickens. Yeah, and throw that garden party. Exactly. Definitely. So what we want to do now is... Oh, my goodness. Cracking the eggs. <laughs> That's some serious crack right there. Cracking the eggs. So we're going to share one of the recipes from the garden party. Right. This is my recipe for whole egg lemon curd. Right. Because, you know, we hate separating eggs for no good reason. Yeah. You always say you're going to use them afterwards, but somehow I don't think. Uh, you know, I find that if I plan a menu ahead where I've got to use them, right. that's okay. But generally it doesn't work that way. No. So uh, lemon curd, is it's like a spring standard. Yes. And if you've never tried making it, you'll be surprised at how easy this recipe is. I actually have not made it. I have to be honest. Okay. You might want to try it after this recipe. It's yeah. so easy. Yeah. And we used it to fill mini pavlova shells. They were delicious. Everyone was commenting. They were really good. About how good they were. Curd itself is pretty versatile in the dessert world. You can use it to fill pies and tarts and pavlovas like right. we did. You can use it as a filler between cake layers. Basically, it's kind of known as a pie filler. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely as a pie filler. Mm -hmm. Yes. You can also tuck it inside of cupcakes in thumbprint cookies. Yeah. Or even layers of parfait and trifles. Or just on toast. Or just on toast. It's delicious. <laughs> it's so or good. Or maybe I've stood there eating it with a spoon. Yeah, it's that so may have happened. good. So... Again, this is a really easy recipe. You don't need to separate the eggs. Right. You don't need a double boiler. Okay. And you can use other kinds of fruits beside lemon. Okay. If you do use other fruits, you may want to reduce your sugar. So if you do anything like lemon, lime, or rhubarb curd, keep that sugar level the same. Oh, yeah. But if you're doing like sweet strawberries or maybe clementines, right. you can cut it back a bit. Yeah. So it doesn't become overpoweringly sweet. So this is how easy this is. You put your whole eggs, your sugar, and your juice in a saucepan. Okay. You whisk them together, 
Put them on the heat. Okay. You're going to keep stirring constantly. You're going to add cubed butter. What is your heat? Is it like a low? It's or? a low medium, which okay. I have. If you check the recipe out on our yeah. website, I have it there. It's like a low medium. Okay. And then you'll have cubed butter set to the side. Okay. And again, because I'm dairy-free, I use Earth Balance. Right. It worked perfectly. No one even knew that that was dairy-free yeah. curd. No. So you put your cubed butter in, you stir mm-hmm. it constantly. It will thicken to the point where when you drag a spoon or spatula through it, you can see a like a clear space right. on the bottom of the pot. That's when it's finished. You that's take it. it off, that's it. You take it off the heat, you let it cool, you're good to go. Awesome. It was absolutely delicious. Thank you. It really was good. And here's the other really great thing about this recipe. If you don't stir it enough and you start to get lumps from the eggs in mm-hmm. your curd, just put it through a strainer yeah, or a sieve, rather, and it'll take the egg bits out and perfect and no one will ever know. No one will know. You can fix it to be perfect. So there you go. Delicious, pretty elegant springtime Yo. dessert. Really versatile. Wait till you see the pictures of how we served it. It looked beautiful. It, it really, really looked beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so I think it's time for retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So today, we're keeping with the theme of the garden party. Yes. And we are talking about chicken teapots. Chicken teapots, yeah. So we're going through, like, all of the vintage things that are out there. And there are tons of chicken teapots. I think the chicken teapot might take the cake for a mount of chicken teapots. You might be right. I mean, it is... An immense amount of teapots out there. There's so many of them. So we're going to give you like a very, very quick, brief overview of tea. And just as an aside, again, we mentioned the May issue of Country Living Magazine. They have a really neat little article in tea and tea collectibles. Yes, which was really good. Yeah, and we didn't see that until after we'd done the garden party. But it's really neat if you want to check it out. They have a timeline of the history of tea. So teapots were originally developed and used in China around the year 1500. Right. And the teacup itself actually predated the teapot. Tea was made in cups, so they were kind of your original teapot. This goes back to the question of what comes first, the chicken or the egg? What comes first, the teapot or the teacup, which we have the answer to? It's the teacup. The teacup. Yeah. And chickens appeared on teapots and cups very early on. So chickens were a very important food source in China, and they're also one of the 12 animals in the Chinese zodiac. Yep. So lots and lots of chicken stuff. It's what we've talked about many times over. You're into what you're into. Right. People who are into chickens want that to reflect in the stuff they use. Generally. They want to, you know, say, okay, I'm into chicken, so I want to use chicken dinnerware, chicken teapot, chicken teacup. So that's pretty, you know, amazing that even way back then. It is. This is how special teacups are to some people. So in 2014, Sotheby's auctioned off a rare teacup that was really beautifully painted with chickens and a mountain scene. Okay. It was from the Ming Dynasty. Wow. Want to guess how much it sold for? Well, I know, but... Okay. <laughs> $36 million. For one chicken teacup. For one chicken teacup. Yeah. I need to find the sister of that teacup. Right? <laughs> Holy moly. So tea and its accompanying pot moved across Asia, and it was eventually adopted by the spread of the British Empire. Right. And from England, of course, the tea traveled to the New World along with teapots and teacups. Yep. And needless to say, by this point, tea is a worldwide phenomenon. The glory of the teapot waned a bit when the tea bag was invented. Okay. But people still love their teapots. 
and we sure love a vintage chicken teapot. Oh my goodness. Okay. If you're listening to this and you like collecting vintage chicken Uh anything, Mm -hmm. do yourself a favor and do chicken teapot and hit images on Google. Just, just a Google search. That's, and then hit images. Oh my goodness. The sheer number is amazing. I mean, and a lot of them are painted with chickens, but a lot of them are also they're shaped of in the, the chicken. shape of the chicken. There right? are some really cool, like rooster teapots. It is amazing the number yeah. <laughs> and the originality of these teapots. It really is. I am partial to the mid-century modern whistling chicken teapots. Oh, yeah. I like you know, where, like the spelled is a chicken neck. Oh, yeah. Those are super cute. I really like them. But there are some beautiful, beautiful china and porcelain teapots. Oh, definitely. There's some whimsical teapots. Mm-hmm. And everything that you can find, I mean, I'm sure some of these, when you go to look, are going to be really expensive. Probably. Collectible teapots on their own tend to be one of the pricier things you can collect. Yeah. But if you're finding one in the wild, I mean, doing a jump up Grab and down it, in a right? store. Grab it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll put this on our little ch- ch- mm-hmm. our checklist of stuff to look out for. I recently picked up a really gorgeous service for eight set of Mikasa dishes. I I love them. But there's a teapot. And apparently it's extraordinarily hard to find. Yeah. So that's the thing I'm going to be looking for. Oh, yeah. Any of these teapots, if Mm -hmm. I could find them, I would be happy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they have the stackable ones, too. Oh, look at that. It's literally... Three chicken-shaped teapots stacked on top of each other. In size. Like, they're like nesting boxes, but teapots wow. that are chickens. Wow. Stacking redware chicken teapot set made in Japan. Super cool. That's vintage, definitely. Yeah. So, that was the one thing we thought for retail therapy would kind of go with our garden party. Yeah, thing. yeah. And just one more thing that we can collect, that's chickens. Absolutely. And be on the lookout for. So, do you want to tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? We are doing another American chicken, the Buckeye. Yay! We're going to talk about chicken-safe gardens. Uh, that's going to be so much fun. Yeah. Our recipe is a strawberry-baked French toast. Oh, my God. Amazing, right? And then we're going to do some more vintage talk. Uh, retail therapy is vintage hens on nests. With Ellen from Fab Four Hens. That's right. We have a guest to talk about. We have the- a guest. Yeah. So we can't wait. It's going to be such a fun episode. And it's the week before Mother's Day. Yeah, that's fun. That's going to be fun. So I don't know. What should we tell everybody to do? Hug your chickens every, every day. day. And kiss them too. Don't forget. We'll see everybody next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show so that we can bring you even more high-quality chicken content, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.